Hey y'all, I'm Mandile and welcome back to And Other Things. This Women's History Month has been about and will continue to be about celebrating badass women who inspire us and drive change, sometimes without knowing it. I really hope you've enjoyed getting to know Sarah over the past last two episodes and sadly this is the last one but much like Sarah's legacy these episodes are everlasting until whatever platform you're using to watch this or to listen to this disappears but until the apocalypse you can always come back and spend some time with Sarah again. In part two of the series, we left Sarah as she had just started monetizing her self-taught knitting, sewing and crocheting skills on a larger scale. And then something wonderful happened. On January 20, 1973, Sarah gave birth to her first child and baby girl, Titi Nyarai Zhangje amidst the chaos of civil unrest and the war for liberation. A couple of months later, Sarah was walking in town with Titi in the pram, when a white woman noticed the handmade knitted and crocheted bits and bobs in the pram and wanted to find out who had made them. When Sarah told her that she had made them, the white lady became Sarah's second client and began selling those items at a garage. This meant that she was now supplying two white individuals with her jerseys in colonial Zimbabwe, thus kickstarting her entrepreneurial journey. Now Sarah's primary motivation for working as hard as she did was her desire to give herself and her family a much better life than she had growing up specifically when it came to education. As you know, when she was younger, she experienced what it was like to not have enough money to go to school, and that really upset her. Realizing just how important education was, she knew that she wanted all her children to get a good education and to go beyond grade seven, which is where she had stopped. She says she wanted her children to be teachers or headmistresses or even nurses, which were some of the few jobs available to Africans back then. And she worked extremely hard to make sure that happened. Sarah went beyond sewing and knitting and branched out into reselling, which in local Shanglish, which is a mix of Shana and English, is called kuhoda. Sarah would travel overseas to buy clothes and blankets and then bring them back home to Zimbabwe and sell them at a profit. Saka isusta tisti 
What prompted her to take on this endeavor was that there were sanctions in colonial Zimbabwe against the white government that made it difficult for people in the country to buy items such as clothing. The following day, very frequently, Sarah would travel to Bulawayo, a city in Zimbabwe, and then from there she would go to Botswana, through which she would travel by train to get to South Africa. And that's where she'd buy the clothes from. And then she'd go back home, resell them, and do this all over again. It was challenging to handle both entrepreneurship and motherhood, but she found a nanny to help her with her children, much like the white family she stayed with on the farm had done. Have you ever seen those YouTube videos about famous CEOs and their morning routines? You know, the ones where they wake up at 4am and do like a million things in the first four hours of the day? Yeah, Sarah had one too, but hers was definitely not as intense, which proves that you can have your cake and eat it too. I still don't know what that means, but that felt like an appropriate place to put it. Anyway, Sarah's morning routine looked something like this. Wake up, do the dishes, and then sew. I'm happy to report that all of her hard work paid off because she was able to set her kids up for success financially and educationally. In part two, I pointed out the land politics that were present during colonial Zimbabwe, which permitted the white government to withhold land they'd stolen from the indigenous people. So Africans were allotted unfertile land and lived in higher density areas. Now I told you that this was significant in the last episode, now I can tell you why. Sarah was finally able to build her own forever house. Of course, like everything else in life, it wasn't easy. It means Sanctions were imposed on the country by the British government during colonial rule, and those effects were felt long after the country gained complete independence in 1980. This meant that when Sarah was building her home, there was no cement because of those sanctions. So even though she bought her plot of land in 1987, she only began building the house in the 1990s. Although her husband stopped working in 1990, the money she made from reselling clothes from South Africa and the money she made from sewing and knitting 
was enough to sustain her whole family. And so, on one whole acre of land, Sarah built a home complete with three guest compounds, a well, a mini field area where she grows her own maize and other vegetables like tomatoes, horned melons and leafy greens, as well as a garden with an array of flowers and sometimes strawberries and grapes. Her house itself has four bedrooms and three bathrooms where she still lives with her husband. On that piece of land, you can also find bamboo trees, guava trees, which are her personal favorite, avocado and papaya trees too. This is the home where she raised five beautiful children, Titi, Robert, Lucia, Fungai and Ronald. But she didn't stop there. Not only did she raise her own children in that home, but over the years, she took in so many family members and strangers and friends of friends and friends of friends of friends who needed a home or a job. That's the essence of Sarah. She's an eternal giver. Oh, and remember the white child that Sarah looked after, the one you heard about in the second episode of the series? Well, the weekly boarding school that that kid went to, Sarah ended up sending her children to. Talk about breaking barriers. A few more things that make Sarah who she is is that she makes the best sadza. She drives a 1995 Toyota Venture, a car that's way too big and too old for her, but she drives it like a boss anyway. And perhaps the best part, up until recently, she's been drinking a bottle of Coca-Cola almost every day in her entrepreneur years. Yes, Coca-Cola, the dark, fizzy liquid that's high in sugar and all that terrible stuff. Not the diet or the zero Coke, the straight up 100% stuff. But that's the poison she picked and she loves it. And yet she is as nimble and as sharp as ever. So maybe Coca-Cola is all we need. At the end of these episodes, I've been saying that Sarah is a woman who overcame the odds through hard work, faith and Coca-Cola. Well, you've heard about the hard work and the Coca-Cola. Now it's time to get to know her spiritually. As far as we know from historical accounts, Christianity was first brought to Southern Africa in the 1800s, years before actual colonization. And now the majority of Zimbabweans actually consider themselves to be Christian, and Sarah is no exception. She says she was born into the religion, and when she was at school, the students went to the Methodist church in the village, and she would end up going to the Methodist church for years to come. Sarah says she cherishes her religion because when she was growing up, her father never went to witch doctors, which was the norm, and yet she still grew up and did well, which, from the way she explained it, seemed like that wasn't supposed to happen. In fact, when she hears someone talking about going to see a healer or witch doctor to deal with an issue, she tries to stop them.
Sarah believes that if you face a challenge, it's because it was preordained in the Bible or by God, and there's no human who can change the fate of such challenges. They only make you stronger, and your future will only be brighter. She adds that even Jesus suffered, and shoot, Joseph suffered too, and he ended up holding a position of power. Sarah isn't perfect. I've noticed that historical figures who made great contributions to the advancement of humanity are typically seen as flawless human beings who did nothing but good, especially when they're part of a minority. Sarah, a black, African, Zimbabwean, Shana woman who grew up in rural Zimbabwe under British colonial rule, paved the way for so many black men and women inside and outside of her sphere of influence and contributed to the businesses of white colonialists. At the same time, she wasn't always available for her children in the way that they needed because she was so busy working hard to make sure that they lived a more comfortable life and had the education they needed. Her children would grow up to feel these effects. She also used to try to tell her daughter how to raise her kids. Now, I don't say that to demonize her in any way. Quite the opposite, actually. I want to humanize her and remind you that she is just flesh and blood like the rest of us. I initially thought of naming this series Sarah Janje, her first name and surname, or even Sarah Nuke Janje, first name, maiden name and surname. But that just didn't seem right. Janje is my grandpa's last name and absolutely no disrespect to my grandfather. I think women's stories can and should be told without needing to attach them to someone else's name, especially not a man's name because that's how our stories have been told for so many years. Feminist much of me? I don't know. (laughs) And even though I would never in a million years call my grandma by her first name out of respect, It simply had to be done for the purposes of the series and for Women's History Month. This series is about Sarah, about the woman who birthed her and taught her to make clay pots, about the village women who shared their doily making knowledge, about the women in her church who sang and worshipped with her, the women she supported and raised, and the women they gave life to. Throughout the series, it was really hard for me to separate the story of colonial Zimbabwe from Sarah's story because they're one in the same. African land is often spoken of as the motherland, whether in reference to the continent or specific regions or countries. We call her Mother Africa or Mama Africa. The story of Sarah is the story of Zimbabwe, is the story of Mother Africa, is the story of me. Just like the motherland, Sarah is a nurturer, a caretaker, a provider. There are so many parts of Sarah's story that happened circumstantially. And by that, I mean, it was simply because of where and who she was that she was able to be in a position to receive certain opportunities. For example, her father took her to school, albeit only for a short while, While the women in her village taught her to crochet and sew, 
and her father just happened to supply maize to a white man who needed a nanny. None of that was intentional on Sarah's part. Nevertheless, this world that mankind has created is not built for women or built to favor them. So Sarah's very accomplishments are quite miraculous. In fact, her very existence is miraculous, especially given that she came of age on colonized land. Simply put, Sarah is the story of a young Shauna girl who, under some of the most unfavorable circumstances, educated herself, risked her literal life, and went to great lengths to make sure that she and her family had a better life, not knowing that her efforts would have an impact more far-reaching than she could ever imagine. A story to be told 7,000 miles away on a different continent in a different time zone to be heard by different people of different nationalities who she may never meet. Thank you to my aunt, Sarah's daughter, for allowing me to use clips from her audio with my gogo and to my mom for filling in the blanks by interviewing my grandma where needed. Oh, by the way, gogo is grandma. <laughs> That's what I call Sarah. I am beyond grateful to have women in my life who inspire me and support me in any and every way they can. Thank you for coming on this journey with me of learning about Sarah, my grandma, and spending time with her during this Women's History Month. And thank you to my gogo, Sarah Janje, who is 74 now, for all that you have done for me, for inspiring me, and for loving me even from 7,000 miles away. Sarah has been a series about a woman who defied the odds through hard work, faith, and Coca-Cola. In her words and her favorite way to end a phone call, love you, God bless you. Auntie, who's your favorite child? <laughs> Inina, Inina, and Dina's favorite. Mana, we say. Isn't it? That's my view as well. We say, and the Dombody, put in the Gone Gutaura, Umi Mana, Neush, put it away in the work at the Ayo. In those anti. It's okay, Gogo, we all know it's Uncle Ronnie.